With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. All right. Welcome to Out of the Blue from Maze and Brew on the SB Nation Podcast Network. The podcast equivalent of the band on the Titanic that kept on playing as the ship went down. I am Jared Stormer of maizeandbrew.com. With me, as always, is Andy Bailey, my hetero life mate. Andy, you sad, shriveled sack and poor excuse for a human being. How you holding up? You described me perfectly. I need no other introduction. I am a sad, shriveled up sack. <laughs> I feel you, brother. You, me, and a lot of the Michigan fan base... We're in the same boat on this one, at least. At least we can suffer together. Uh, It has been a long week. I have not really indulged in any sort of college football uh, other than, you know, just the the odd tweet back and forth and a a couple texts between, you know, you and me. But uh, here we sit, my friend, after what was without a doubt one of the most embarrassing losses of the Harbaugh era, getting beat by, let's admit, a very good Wisconsin team. But let's go ahead and talk really quick about some quick thoughts about that game and what you saw, uh, some initial thoughts on that from you. Okay, to get right into it, I think this team has a bad case of snowball effect to where when one bad thing happens, it just mentally snowballs and it gets worse and it gets worse. More mistakes happen for people trying to overcompensate for it, make up for it right away. And that's what happened as soon as Ben Mason fumbled on, I believe, the third play from scrimmage. Game was over. Defense fell behind. They lost faith in the offense to hold on to the football. The offense tried to force the issue. Granted, they got robbed on a catch that Joel Klatt was just going in on. But, oh, man, this 
this team's in a bad state mentally and breaking those habits is going to be really difficult. I agree with everything that you said, which isn't uncommon. Yeah, that Ben Mason play certainly turned the tide early, and you heard that. Sean McEwen said pretty much that exact same thing. My concern with that play is that there was a timeout called, so you bring Ben Mason out on the field. You know the ball's coming to him. We haven't seen him on offense the entire year. You're down near the goal line. Timeout gets called. You come back out with the same set. They know exactly where that ball's going. Ben Mason, I get having trust in the player. I have a lot of faith in Ben Mason too, but he hasn't been playing the position. They knew it was coming, and I put that on the coaching staff. I think that with play calling once again, execution, uh, I mean, they didn't even attempt to run the ball in the first half. Um, you said it best. You were on 106.5 um, you know, earlier. What was that, yesterday? Or that was today. Yesterday. Yeah, no, okay, it was yesterday. I heard it today. Uh, but, I mean, you, you said it perfectly. The lack of identity is what's really going to doom this team. You can come back from that kind of loss, but not without an identity. It was – yeah, they don't know who they are, at least in losses from other teams like Penn State in 2016 when they righted the ship from 2-2 two and two to win the Big Ten and the Rose Bowl. They knew who they were from the jump. It wasn't a surprise. This Michigan team doesn't know what's going on. Josh Gaddis has no clue what he's doing. I feel like I'm sometimes the only one yelling at the cloud while everyone's clamoring at Harbaugh. Josh Gaddis doesn't know who he is, what his philosophy is, what he wants to lean on. His play calling is checkers, not chess. Nothing is set up. Nothing is calculated. There's not even like the 25-play Drevno script he would run in 2017. It's just – it feels completely lost. I, I agree with you entirely. Uh, Josh Gaddis, I mean, there was regression at every position group, and that's on Harbaugh. That's on the players. I don't know if they've lost the will to fight, but that offensive line, I've never seen a performance that poor. Was it because they expected to have Runyon back and he wasn't quite good to go? I don't know, but they played decent with Ryan Hayes in there in the previous games. So I was the most surprised by that of all the things. Um, And then Gaddis. Yeah, Gaddis looks like a lame duck hire, looks like a panicky hire. Um, I've said this a couple times now. If you were just running Jim Harbaugh's offense, which say what you will about it, it may have been antique. It had an identity. And this team would probably still lose that game if you're running Harbaugh's offense, but it's going to be 28-24, 28-21. It's not going to be some absolute embarrassment like it was there when you have no offensive identity. And I don't know how many games you can possibly win without an offensive identity. I mean, because you're, you're just relying on luck and a couple plays here and there. I, I don't really know. I've never seen a team that lacks an identity quite like that. We saw Jim Harbaugh's offense on Saturday. It beat us 35-14. to 14. <laughs> Yeah, basically. I mean, that's essentially what they're trying to run over there, albeit they have a future NFL, you know, pro bowler on their on their team right now and i also want to give wisconsin credit where credit is due that's the best wisconsin team we've seen uh, under harbaugh by far yeah. that is a really good wisconsin yes yeah, since russell wilson and monte ball this is easily their best team jonathan taylor should be right in the thick of the heisman conversation and although he's a running back and the award now only goes to quarterbacks it seems like post derrick henry um he has to be in consideration he is phenomenal as advertised I really hope he leaves for the NFL after this season. Oh, he absolutely will leave for the NFL after this season. That would be the dumbest move maybe of all time if he didn't, other than some of the things Antonio Brown has done of of late. (laughs) Jonathan Taylor Um, would just come back to haunt people like you and I. It's like, oh, great. One more year. Yay. Yeah, he hears the podcast. Like, oh, okay. Just because of that, I'm coming back next year. (laughs) One more time. How do you guys feel about that? (laughs) 
Not well, Jonathan. Not well. <laughs> um, so real quick on the defense, too, and it is incredibly difficult to stop Jonathan Taylor, but the defense seemed to regress on every level. There were guys at each level that performed. Uh, I would say on the defensive line, Carlo Kemp got some penetration. Uh, Aiden Hutchinson did okay. Um, Cam McGrone came in and made a great play on the goal line. Uh, Klee Hudson got his tackles, but appears to be out of position a lot. I don't know. I, I'm not going back to watch that tape, so I have no idea. But I can tell you that for sure, Lavert Hill was out of position quite a bit. Yeah, I'm out on Kalik Hudson a little bit. I am completely out the door on Lavert Hill. I would not be mad about Vincent Gray starting in his position because he played absolutely incredible once he came in. Metellus played pretty well. His effort's been there all season. Defensive line was really disappointing, though. It was Carlo Kemp pretty consistently, really quick. Aiden Hutchinson a little bit. Quiddy Pay's gone missing. Mike Dana is just yeah. a flop. Josh Uche was a flop in this game. Devin Gill, I don't know if he's around. Josh Ross got hurt the linebacking positions. But, man, it was – the front seven took a beating in this game. They were handled at the point of contact, and it just showed the mental fragility of this whole defensive front seven. It really did, and I mean, we knew we'd miss Gary, Winovich, and Bush, but having those guys that you can count on to make plays when other guys, I mean, it may, it may have masked some things on the defense, um, and I mean, even before then, we had Hurst. We had guys in the middle there that could control that line. We can't control the line of scrimmage right now, or at least not against Wisconsin, but we've got several other good offensive lines that we got to face. We got... Iowa coming up here in a couple weeks, and they've got NFLers all over their offensive line. Ohio State's got NFL guys all over their offensive line. Penn State's improved there. Uh, and our defensive line looks like a problem. Yeah, how is how is our offensive line going to handle A.J. Apensia or Chase Young this season? Yeah, that's another concern. I mean, you wouldn't think. The one thing that we came into this season, I mean, even more than the quarterback room, I think we said that wide receivers and offensive line are the things we feel the most confident in. Still feel great about the uh, the wide receivers, though they've had a few more drops than I care to admit. Although Ronnie Bell absolutely caught that ball. Joel Klatt, your unknown friend, thanks for uh, picking up on that. But the offensive line in that is inexplicable. And maybe we just need to give Runyon the time he needs to get back. I don't know, but they didn't seem to care at all. They weren't picking their guys up. Shea Patterson took 19 hits. Dylan McCaffrey with one of the worst targeting calls. No one picks him off the ground. I mean, I get you're upset, you're losing, you're dejected, but show some fight in one another, you know? Yeah, show something. I mean, this team just completely was fl was flat at the beginning and gave up at the end. It was how, how do you go from flat to worse? I mean, it was inexcusable, inexplicable, as you said. It was just really disheartening. It, felt, it feels like it's precipitating the beginning of the end, but – Winning cures all, and this season can be salvaged. This is one game. This is just – this could be a blip in the radar or it could precipitate what's to come, but got to give it some time. We can't make a knee-jerk decision at the moment. No, absolutely not. But we do plan in this podcast to talk about where we see this program and potentially, if you had to, to move on, how we would look at it. But right now, this whole season is still in front of you. I, I want to stress that very much, that – there's been teams that have taken absolute beatdowns early in the season and come back and done great things. Uh, I mean, Ohio State in 2017 versus Iowa, 55-24 at Iowa. Granted, it was later in the season. Penn State in 2016, we beat them 49-10. to uh, They went on to go to the Rose Bowl. 
uh, Bama last year. Look at what happened to Clemson. I mean, in one bad game, a good team can get you, and they can get you really badly. So there's no need to absolutely sell the farm on this. That being said, it's the way it looked, I think, that causes more concern than the fact that we got beat by a very good team on the road. Yeah, it's not not losing that's got everybody upset. It's how they lost because I illustrated an article earlier this week on mazenbrew.com, which is a great website, about how this was the first time Michigan's just been blown out of the water from the jump. This has never happened under Jim Harbaugh. And another big loss to talk about is when, like Purdue last season held Ohio State to 20 points and beat them 49-20. to 20. And Michigan fans thought we'd pound all over them. They can't score on this defense, and they hung over 60 on it. One game doesn't define the year. It's just like the team has to find themselves. They have to figure out who they are, what's their identity. They need an organizational culture because it seems to have just disappeared. Yeah, I'm no coach, and this is probably way off for how it works. But if I were Josh Gaddis, I'd be like, all right, enough of this. We're throwing on first down for the rest of the season. Charbonnet gets 19 carries a game. And uh, we're going 55% pass, 45% run. That's our identity. I've said it. I like, just come up with something and whatever it is, stick to it. Yeah, just take a guess at anything. Just be <laughs> anything. I don't care if we come out in the wing tee if it works. <laughs> I don't give a shit, man. Yeah, just give us something. I'm with you, man. But uh, that being said, uh, improvement week and season is not over. We've got a great matchup this week to kind of rebound and get some confidence back, and that's Rutgers. Uh, pretty much the last cupcake we have, based on what I've seen. I mean, we've got Illinois later in the year, but nothing looks like it's going to be given to the Michigan Wolverines except for Rutgers. So go out there and, I mean, beat down Rutgers and try and improve. Get guys healthy. Um, what do you have to say about this game, other than what I just said? <laughs> this is um, – it feels almost like practice with pads. This feels like a midseason week one where Michigan can work out the kinks and – find some answers within themselves. They can try out some things, experiment, really just find their identity. This game is better than a bye week because Michigan's bye weeks clearly don't benefit them. Nope. Uh, so this is this is the improvement week. This is the game where they take a step forward and figure out who they are because if they don't, Iowa looms in two weeks. And they're a top 15 team coming to beat us down. They're, they don't back down from big competition. And this will be the first time Michigan's played them since 2016 when – they beat us 14 to 13. And we're in their house again, are we not? No, 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 no. We're not at Kinnick. They come to Ann Arbor. God, thank God. I can't do another Kinnick, Camp Randall, Happy Valley. Yeah. <laughs> not one of those. No, they come to us, but AJ Pensia and them, they're going to be coming ready. So this offensive line has to find answers against Rutgers. Otherwise, Michigan's in a bad place. Do you think against Rutgers we should start any of the following people? Shea Patterson, Zach Charbonnet, Donovan Peoples-Jones, John Runyon, Mike Dwumfor. Are they all – I'm assuming they're all at 100% or are they at like 80%? I don't think any of those people are at 100% based on what we saw against Wisconsin. I mean, you can get to 100% in a week. I don't think – in a one week, can you go from whatever John Runyon was at, whatever DPJ was at, 80% to 100%? I don't think any of them will be at 100. I think some of them need to play, though. I think they need game – I think Runyon and DPJ need game reps. I'm not sure about the 1-4 and – Patterson has to start, otherwise it's Joe Milton, and we don't know right away. I think this is a good time to get Joe Milton some valuable reps this season, but yeah. starting, yeah. let's let's be careful. 
Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, you could start and, and just run, like you said, the wing T and you're still going to beat Rutgers. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I would be, I would be cautious with that as well, but Shea's got that oblique injury. And I mean, they said that he tweaked it again, so he's not going to be at a hundred percent. I say get a comfortable lead and then yeah, let Milton take the majority of this game. Yeah, he absolutely should be able to just depending on how the defense plays. Are they going to stand up and push around on the uh, on the line like we've seen them in the past or are we going to see just more regression from everybody is Lavert Hill going to stay disciplined and stop looking in the backfield I don't know I mean Lavert Hill has too much talent this team in general has too much talent for that to be the norm I mean that's why it was so baffling to me is because there's just talent all over this team and it, it's a systemic problem it's a coaching problem or it's a motivation problem or Maybe it was just, you know, you allow yourself to get socked in the mouth and don't know how to respond. But, I mean, then again, that falls on the coaches. So here's a chance to pick yourself back up off the mat and start to establish identity. It's a long season. You don't have to establish your identity overnight against Rutgers, but you've got to start to figure out what it is. Start to build it now. If you're going to lose a game, lose it early and improve every week. If you improve every week, with this team, you can still win a lot of games and you'll upset some people because you're not going to be favored in a lot of games now. I, I hate to be the bearer of bad news. No, Michigan won't be favored in three of their next five because they have Iowa coming, they have Penn State at Penn State, and they have Notre Dame. But like you said, everything's in front of this team. Michigan could lose to Notre Dame and still control their own destiny in the Big Ten East. That assumes they beat yeah. Penn State, but everything is on the table. Everything is on the table, and that's going to take us to the break. But before we do, we're going to come back in the second half. we got a special guest. Uh, it is the wide receivers coach at Central um, – or Central Catholic, excuse me, in Ohio. Uh, the team that has – the high school team that has sent us James Hudson. They put Deshaun Kaiser in the NFL. Dane Sonsenbacher from Ohio State. They've won some, uh, some state championships. So we're going to bring him on to kind of talk about what he sees in this coaching staff. And if you had to, not saying that we think you should. In fact, I think we're saying the opposite. You ride this out. But if you had to, what are some coaching options out there that you could look at? But before we go to break, I want to get your opinion. Do you ride with Harbaugh for the rest of the season? You fire him now. Do you fire him at the end of the season after a certain amount? Where are you standing with this? Rich Rodriguez was allowed to finish his tenure. Michigan's not going to fire Jim Harbaugh midseason. Like it, hate it, whatever. Michigan could lose by 60 to Rutgers, and they're still not going to fire him. It will go to the end of the year no matter what. Um, as far as the end of the year, Harbaugh controls his own destiny. Does the team go 7-5, and five, beat Ohio State? Does that earn him another hot seat? Does he go 9-3 and three and lose to them? There's a debate to have. But he controls his own destiny much like this team. Agreed. And we're going to get into that a little bit more, but I couldn't agree with you more that you both are going to give him the rest of the year. There's no way they would do anything other than that. His buyout's $12 million, by the way. Um, and also, you need to give him that because I am part of the camp that said, yeah, I'll take 7-5 and five and a win over Ohio State. A lot of people are in that camp. You have to give him the chance to finish this season and see if he can beat Ohio State. If he does that, he buys himself a lot of goodwill and a lot of breathing room. It all starts with Rutgers. It all starts with Rutgers. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be back after this on Out of the Blue. Step into the world of power, loyalty, 
and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. All right. Welcome back to Out of the Blue. We have a very special segment this evening we are bringing on my stepdad good friend paul watna currently employed by central catholic uh and a bit of a football aficionado paul welcome to the show hi guys uh great to be with you tonight and uh, i'm looking forward to uh talking a little michigan football yeah you uh, might be the only one this one was tough for us to get through but we are here nonetheless and we are gritting our teeth and getting through it uh we want to talk to you this evening, Andy and I, before the break, kind of talked about, you know, where we stand with Jim Harbaugh as a coach. And the fan base is absolutely split on this. But one thing that Andy and I agree on and we think kind of should be the the consensus here is that he's got to be able to finish out this season. What are your thoughts on Jim Harbaugh's performance up to this point and what you think the consensus should be moving forward? Well, up to this point, uh, I think that I'm just like pretty much the majority of fans out there and um, not too pleased with uh, what I'm seeing as a product on the field. Um, I I realize there's a lot of season to go, um, but with expecta- expectations so high, um, I was really expecting to see more, especially at the beginning, you know, before we got uh, into the Big Ten Conference schedule. Um, there's no way I would have ever expected to see what I saw against Wisconsin. Um, I, to tell you the truth, I had to turn it off. It was just something that I couldn't believe. Um, I did not, I was flabbergasted by it. Um, I, I truly believe, though, on the other hand, that you got to give uh, Harbaugh a little bit of time. He's got to be able to, um, we'll see if he can correct the ship. Um, a lot of big games ahead of us. Um, by by no means is the, uh, you know, the East out of the question for us yet. Um, so he does have time to improve on that. I think that, you know, obviously our national championship hopes are out of the way. Um, but. At this point in time, um, from what I'm seeing, you know, I know that it's a it's a large uh, it's a large mountain to climb when you have Penn State and Ohio State, Michigan State. Um, it's a pretty brutal schedule coming up. Yeah, and Notre Dame. Yeah, and they look pretty good against Georgia. So that is not going to be an easy game. Now, Jared and I were talking before he brought you on, Paul about how, to your point, the Big Ten East is still very much in play. They could even lose to Notre Dame and still control their own fate. 
knowing Ohio State, Michigan could conceivably lose two more games, even a Big Ten game, and still have a chance to contend for the Big Ten East if Ohio State continues with their trend of losing conference road games. Yeah. I, I, I Oh, go ahead, no, Jared. No, I, I agree with what he says. I think with everything out in front of you, it's what, what we were saying is the problem is that not that they lost, it's how they looked when they lost. I, I totally agree with that. And, um, you know, there, I, I – I guess that when you look at it and teams are ranked, you know, they say style points don't matter, but trust me, that's why people keep, uh, you know, the motor running when, when teams are up, you know, look at Ohio state this weekend, uh, 75, to, uh, was it six? There, there's Five. a reason there. <laughs> there's a reason they're, they're keeping it going, you know? Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And, uh, you know, style points don't mean everything, but they do mean something. Because we didn't look good against Middle Tennessee State or Army, so now it's becoming a systemic trend. You take that back to what we saw against Florida and even before that, Ohio State. Now you're starting to see maybe you know the identity of the program, and that's a program without an identity. So that's what brings us into this next segment here. The fan base is completely torn. Some people are calling for his head. All three of us are of the opinion you let him finish this season, and then we'll talk about this. That being said, I'm hearing just ridiculous names being thrown out there. I'm hearing Urban Meyer. I'm hearing Bill Belichick. I'm hearing the ghost of Vince Lombardi. It, it's time to bring people back down to earth. So that's why I wanted to have a reasonable discussion with three reasonable football minds about some names that might be out there that could both be achievable and also move this program in a direction that everyone's, you know, trying to see. I mean, everyone, the one thing we all have in common is we all want the best for Michigan football, for the Michigan program, for the university. So we all have different opinions of how that might look, but we want to talk about some options. So Paul, give us your first potential realistic coach that you would, wouldn't mind seeing at Michigan should this ship continue to sink. Okay. Well, here we go with number one in no particular order. Okay. All right, the first person that I would say would be Matt Campbell of Iowa State. Uh, Matt is uh, 39 years old, very young coach. Um, coached four years at the University of Toledo, compiled a 35-15 and 15 record, won two of his three bowl games, um, was named the Big 12 Coach of the Year twice. Wow. And. Um, he pretty much he he has a a reasonable salary four point one million. The only you know so I I think that that could be an option. I'm with you, Paul. I'm a big Matt Campbell guy. He's only had one year of a losing record as a head coach with a full season. That was his first year at Iowa State. They went three and nine in 2016, and since then they've been eight and four both years or eight and five both years after that. Matt Campbell reportedly declined to join Urban Meyer's staff in 2015 when he was head coach at Toledo. He's a Northern Ohio guy. Uh, Michigan's been one of his dream schools he's mentioned before. I love the pick. I think he would fit right in and really adapt his culture and playing style. And granted, you know, his teams don't play exceptional defense. It's the Big 12. You know, he competes, he brings people down. They have the ghost at Ames. They always play the big boys tough. I think he'd be an excellent I'm hire. okay with it. He's a Midwestern guy. Sounds like his dream programs are going to be one of the Ohio State and Michigan-Notre Dame. Um, so he's got the ties. Recruiting wouldn't be that bad. 
Uh, but he's a defensive guy, and he's been winning with defense in the Big 12 because they're about the only team that does it. Um, I, if you look at the, the output that he's had on offense at Iowa State, I mean, I don't think they've gone over 44 points. They're not winning in shootouts, so he's not some brilliant offensive mind. Um, and if you come without an offensive game plan in the Big Ten nowadays, when you're going up against Jeff Brom and Scott Frost and you know the, the juggernaut that is Ohio State, I don't know that just a solely defensive team could do it. So I need to see a little bit more offensive progression for him. But yeah, he's young. I mean, he checks a lot of the boxes. He's winning. Uh, you could do worse. You could do worse than Matt Campbell. Paul, any uh, any rebuttal to those thoughts? Um, no, I think that, you know, uh, one thing that we, no matter who we're talking about on our list here, guys, is, you know, I realized once going back, you know, let's go back and rewind it a few minutes. You know, the, the fans are ready for a change and everybody's upset. But we also have to keep in mind that, you know, we've been through this in the past. And everybody thought the grass would be greener on the other side when, when, when Lloyd Carr left. So, you know, it, you know, we went through Brady Hoke, great first season. After that, went downhill. You know, I, I mean, Rich Rod was just a disaster. So you, you got to be careful here. No, I agree. And, uh, you know, if, if we're saying that, I mean, how safe of a pick is Matt Campbell? He's the name that I've heard talked about the most. So I'm kind of glad we touched on him first. But is he the safest pick? I don't know. Andy, any, any other thoughts on Campbell yeah. before we move on to your next pick? Yeah, I have two rebuttal points. One, you mentioned Scott Frost. Oh, I'm shaking. They might have positive offensive yards in the first half against us. Secondly, uh, Iowa State has had a decent offense in 2016. They were scoring 60 and 40. And last week, Iowa State hung 72 up. So, I stopped watching college football after the morning games. You understand. Yeah, they won. They, yeah, I understand. They won seventy-two to twenty over Louisiana Monroe. You can say it's Louisiana Monroe, but Michigan had a hard time putting forty up on Middle okay. Tennessee. Fair enough rebuttal. I didn't see in twenty sixteen where they hung sixty. Oh yes, I think I did. Was that against Oklahoma State? The other guy that you were gonna suggest that we go get, Mike Gundy, the mullet. It was against. It was against Texas, Texas Tech. Sixty-six. Sixty-six. Ah, the to only 10. defense worse than Oklahoma State. Got it. <laughs> Hey, points enough, points you know. Enough. Michigan's Michigan's not hanging over forty five on anybody right now. Against Rutgers, um, but all right, Andy, who you got? Throw me a name because I got fire. <laughs> you got some fire, do you? Um, I'm, how about I go ahead and can I can I just steal your fire right now? You're not going to do it. You wouldn't do that to me. Go ahead, but I'm going to hold it against you. Go ahead and do it. <laughs> no, no, Derek, you go ahead, man. My, I ended my list after you gave me this candidate. It was so good. I'll interject with my offensive coordinator suggestion. So you go ahead, man. This we is your did moment. tag team on an idea here. Uh, this guy's rising up my, my list right now, and a lot of people are saying Chris Peterson. But how about his defensive coordinator that's now at Cal and just beat Chris Peterson? That would be Justin Wilcox, current head coach at Cal. He's 42 years old. He was 49-4 and four as the Boise State D coordinator under Peterson. First year at Cal goes five and seven with wins over North Carolina, Ole Miss, and number eight Washington State. Next year goes seven and six with wins against number fifteen Washington at USC. Currently four and zero with another win against his former coach or his former head coach Chris Peterson in Washington. Just beat Ole Miss. They're sitting at four and zero. Cal is ranked. He's a defensive guy. He's young. I mean, he's exciting. I mean, checks all my boxes. Justin Wilcox, Cal head coach. 
No, it's great. And once I dug into him, because I was kind of taken back, like, who is this guy? And then everything he's done there is trending upwards. The team plays defense. They score points. Everything seems to be really clean. He was defensive coordinator at, was it Wisconsin in 2016? Yeah, 2016 when Michigan played him 14-7. to That Michigan offense averaged right around 50 points that game. So, no, I, I think it would be a great hire. I'd like to see he's had a few years at Cal to develop that program, which has been really middling since the J.J. Arrington, Aaron Rodgers type days, it feels like. They have a flash in the pan, but this consistency he's starting to develop is really, really nice and underrated right now. This could be a steal hire. Paul, what do you think about that one? Um, From everything, you know, I, this is a guy that I really don't know much about. Well, you know, uh, my time zone, This these games are on at 10.30, 11 o'clock and go to 1 o'clock. And normally I'm footballed out by then or, or in bed. Uh, he he <laughs> sounds like, he sounds like uh, you know, he might have some potential there. Yeah. I mean, if you like Peterson, how can you not like Wilcox is kind of my thought process there. And if you like Peterson, how can you not prefer Wilcox as he's now beaten him? And this is a name to watch as Cal rises up the ranks, the second highest ranked Pac-12 team, I believe, behind Oregon. And if they continue to do this with this ascension and maybe win the Pac-12, he'll be the name all over everybody's radar. And I'm glad we're tending to it now. But the idea Jared and I came up with off-air was to add Joe Brady as offensive coordinator to this. Joe Brady is a really unknown coach. He's super young. He's only 30. You bring him in as a like, – offensive coordinator, co-offensive coordinator, but he's the man responsible for LSU's passing offense this season. They brought him in, and he's completely revolutionized the way they call plays, the way they run sets, their passing trees. He's also wide receiver coach there. I'm drinking all the Joe Brady Kool-Aid you have. He was an offensive assistant with the Saints last season, comes into LSU now. I think he could continue his rise in Michigan next year under – Justin Wilcox, it need to come to that, and it would just flourish. I love it. I'm stirring that Kool-Aid with a stack of cups like I'm on the Washington Redskins coaching staff. It's beautiful. Yeah, yeah. I love You know, one, yeah. one thing – Go ahead, Paul. Sorry about that, Darren. Uh, one thing that I did look up here, I, you know, you, you piqued some curiosity. Um, signing with Cal, Wilcox signed a five-year deal worth $9.58 million. So he's not really making a lot of money. Uh, we can offer a lot more. We can that, offer that. <laughs> absolutely. That's what I'm saying. You know, I mean, uh, that might be somebody that they could pull in. You know, because buying Harbaugh out is going to be expensive. Yeah, twelve million for the buyout, and uh, like you said, you can steal some people off the West Coast because nobody knew about what's his name, Mustache Minshew, because nobody watched him. And look at what he's doing for Jacksonville. It's kind of like a lost market out there. Um, but of course, once people hear this podcast, the word will spread. Everything takes off in this podcast. People are waiting for this. On the West Coast, they wake up at 6 just feeding for it. People are going to know um, who you are now, Paul. <laughs> well, it's about time, man. I finally <laughs> have made it. Thanks for having me on. Uh, Paul, who else do you have on your coaching list? All right. Um, a name from the past. Bob Stoops. Okay. 59 years old. Uh former Oklahoma coach, uh, took a little break. And right now he's back coaching with the Dallas Renegades what? and the XFL. 
Um, from 1999 to 2016, his record at Oklahoma was 190 to 48. He had 11 top 10 finishes, 10 Big 12 titles, and won a national championship in 2000. Okay. I mean, a name to ponder. Yeah. I mean, we all know Bob Stoops. We know the track record. Andy, your thoughts on that one? It's an interesting hire. I would have to see him putting people in position to really succeed around him, the Lincoln Rileys of the world. He knows he has an eye for talent. Just, I wonder how much he has left in him. It's really interesting he's coaching the Dallas Renegades. Yeah. It feels like he's more out there for fun at this point. He's from a Youngstown, Ohio. I mean, he's a Northern Ohio guy. He's familiar with the rivalry. I just don't know if he's ready to get back into the 24-hour grind of recruiting, coaching, developing game plans, and everything else while he can just play in Vince McMahon's fun yeah. league. That's kind of <laughs> what I think. Is I, he's, well, he's, he's in pseudo-retirement in the XFL. Um, but, yeah, a Midwestern guy, I do like that. Proven track record, I do like that. Not Wouldn't be my number one hire, but I don't hate the idea. You know, uh, you know, like you said, though, from around here, he would know his recruiting trails. You also have to think Lincoln Riley was on his staff that, you know, he brought him in. Yep. So who knows if he still got it or not, you know, but a lot of these coaches, you know, let's be honest. Who thinks that Urban Meyer is going to stay away from this game? You know, he's going to he'll take a year off, take two years off, and then he'll be right back in it with somebody else. Yeah, I think Urban Meyer to USC feels really likely. Seems likely to me. It seems to be lining up that way. If anyone suggests Urban Meyer, I'm going to punch you through the computer. <laughs> Please, God, no. Just, no. no. No, Paul Paul like mentioned it jokingly <laughs> off air, and I was just like, well, I mean, we're going to lambast you after that. I mean, we're going to call you all sorts of names. But, um, all right, I got a name for you guys. I got a name. Like, I'm telling you, I'm coming here spitting fire. My second favorite hire, I like Justin Wilcox. I'm high on him right now. Number two, or maybe number one, split. Brent Venables, Clemson defensive coordinator from 2012 to present. Uh, from 99 to 11, he was associate head coach, so he was under Bob Stoops. So he's in the Bob Stoops coaching tree, so you get that Lincoln-Riley-Bob Stoops connection that we're kind of talking about. Uh, 2016 Broyles Award winner for assistant coach of the year. Been linked to a ton of head jobs, head coaching jobs. Um, and I mean, look at what he's doing at Clemson. I mean, the guy's been under Stoops, Dabo Sweeney. He was at Kansas State under Bill Snyder. I mean, the dude's just been under winners. And I like that. I like a guy that's been in winning programs and sees what it takes to get the wins and to be a winning culture. Brent Venables is, is right up there with Wilcox for my favorite. I don't think Venables would leave unless it was for a Midwest job being where he's from or the Clemson job. But it feels like you're really holding out for like the Kirby Smart kind of transition from elite defensive coordinator for several, several years. And then when the right job opens up, you pounce so, on it. What's wrong with that? I, I'm not hating on it. I'm just saying it's an adequate strategy. I just don't see him leaving. Okay. Paul, your thoughts on I, I would I I agree with Andrew. I do not see him leaving. Or, I mean, why He's uh, making $1.7 million a year. We can offer him seven times that. Well, let me ask you this, too. Okay, let's go back. You know, we have a Herald program here at Michigan. You know, are we going to take a, another risk? Okay, so let's start with the buyout for that money. Yeah. And then risk having somebody with no head coaching experience come in. It's a gamble. 
I, I, I understand his pedigree. I understand who he's been with. But, you know, you also have to think, though, they, they're going to have to fill out a staff on their own. Yeah. I, I don't know. I, I'm just throwing these things out there. No, I, I get it, and I know where you're coming from, but every one of these guys is going to be a risk. Unless we go get Belichick, Saban, Lincoln Riley, or Kirby Smart, every one of these guys is going to have some risk associated with them. So, um, Andy, to you, man, you got another name, or do you have any more thoughts on that one? I have one more one more name kind of floating around I was just thinking about. Do you guys remember Mike Kafka from Northwestern? No. I've never remembered the was name. Cool. That wasn't a coach. <laughs> no, he was a quarterback at Northwestern, and since then he's been quietly climbing the coaching ranks in the NFL, especially with the Kansas City Chiefs. He's gone from offensive quality control coach to quarterbacks coach. Granted, anybody in that system can look like a quarterbacks coach when you have Pat Mahomes there, but he's just a name I find interesting. I wouldn't have him as a head coach with the no experience or anything like that, but he's a Midwestern kid to kind of watch out for. Yeah, that feels like a bigger risk than Venables to me. I, would, I didn't say head coach, though. I just said he's somebody you could bring onto his staff oh, sure. because Michigan has, is going to have to fill out everything. As we see, you can't just go hire Josh Gaddis, give him the keys, and watch him crash it. <laughs> Very true. Oh, that's going to be up to the head coach, though, that they bring in. If you bring in a defensive-minded coach, they're going to, you know, I mean, normally when you come from that side of the ball, you want control of your plays. So you're going to have to figure out, first of all, who the head coach is. And, you know, if you're a defensive-minded coach, you're going to want to bring in an offensive, someone that knows more about the offensive side of the ball. Paul, stop so, writing on my tangent dreams here, okay? <laughs> sorry, man. Sorry. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Yeah, you're, you're 100% right, man. I'm just looking through some Midwestern guys and trying to get my hopes up with some reaches here because I think – uh, in Jared's defense of Brett Venables, any head coach is going to be kind of risky, and I'm more okay with the risk. We had the dream higher, and after five years, the dream has turned into a nightmare. Not a nightmare. We just can't beat Ohio State, and I mean, look at the And you trail 28 nothing State. at halftime. We're, yeah, we're 0-4. Penn State. 1-9 versus top 10, 0-7 as an underdog, 1-6 on the road against ranked opponents. Pick your statistic. That's How's our bowl game looking? Yeah, yeah, it's bad. Paul, give me another name. All right, here, here's my last one. A little bit older of a gentleman, same age as Stoops, but quite a, quite a track record. Kyle Whittingham, 59 years old, 16 seasons with Utah, record of 123 and 62, 11 and 2 in bowl games. Um, another thing about him is he's only signed through 2020, so the buyout would be an option. Um, he's had success against Power Five programs. He's seven and one against the ACC, four and one against the Big Ten, five and three against the Big Twelve, and one and zero oh against the SEC, which was Alabama in two thousand nine. Mm -hmm. Wow! I mean, and one and zero oh against Harbaugh. There you go. Uh, all right, Andy. Thoughts on that hire? That's a a really good choice. I don't know if he would leave Utah. It's interesting they haven't extended him yet, which leaves the option open to be able to pick him up because you figured a coach like that almost has tenure there. He would have signed an extension by now, so the fact that he's still floating out there is very intriguing. Um, I'm, I'm for it. Utah, besides the past weekend, they get it, got beat by USC, has always looked good. Kyle Whittingham's my number one coach I'd pick to win in a fight because he's just massive and like an intimidating kind of guy. 
But I've seen what he can do recruiting at Utah. It'd be interesting to see what a seasoned guy like that can come in and do at Michigan. Yeah, I just, I'm concerned about the ceiling. I mean, at this point, we came in and we hired a guy that that got us a very good baseline. He got us that above Bo Pelini, slightly above Bo Pelini average. I'm after a ceiling guy here. I want somebody that can get us over Ohio State and maybe we'll blow some games along the way, but we're going to find a way to beat Ohio State. That's literally all I care about. Um, and Kyle Whittingham just seems very conservative. Defensive-minded guy, wants to run the football a ton, a ton, a ton, a ton, um, which is which is fine. I mean, especially when you're at elevation in Utah, would that work in the modern Big Ten to a degree? I mean, it's basically bringing back the Harbaugh offense. I'd rather just say fire Gaddis, let Harbaugh be the offensive coordinator, and we'll run it back with exactly what we had last year. That's my thought on that. But, all right, anybody else on Winningham before I throw one final name out there? You go ahead, Jared. The last name out there. And this, yeah, let's yeah. hear your last one. No, oh, the last one's a big one. The last one should be a phone call that should be made as soon as Ohio State beats us 47-6, to six, uh, and that is Josh McDaniels. Head out of the offense. <laughs> but that doesn't change the fact that Josh McDaniels is an extreme. 